Let's dive into Galatians. I can't wait to teach this lesson. Galatians chapter 3. We're going to answer the question, what laws do we have to obey? So, would you, having known a little bit about me, and some of you a lot about me, would you say I am, generally speaking, a law abider or a law fudger? (laughs) Fudger. Fudger with a capital fudge, yes. So in El Salvador, when you pull up to a red light and it's red, I mean like bright red light, it is clearly just a suggestion. To, oh, to just pause for a moment and make sure the truck won't hit you when you drive through it. Mm-hmm. The, the laws down there, I ask about traffic laws, a lot, a lot of um, motorcycles on both sides of your car uh, driving down a lane. And no, no lines in the lane unless you're on the main highway. And I said, are there traffic police? No. So he, the motorcycle can drive right side, left side, front, back, whatever, three, three deep. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I said, what about other things like uh, speed limit? Uh, whatever you can do kind of thing. So, yeah, in my kind of country, you know, for, for driving purposes anyway. The, the question we want to ask ourselves when we look in the book of, of Galatians is, what Old Testament laws... What did God put down, either under the moral law, which you and I know as the Ten Commandments, or the ceremonial law, or the civil laws on how to do everyday life, which of those do we have to abide by as, as people who have become Christians, we've been saved under the new covenant? This is a really big deal to the people that Paul was writing, and in some ways it's a really big deal for us today. Because it's important for us to understand what role the law played then in the Old Testament during the time of what we'll call the transition right after Jesus' ascension and now. If you were in some Christian churches around the world, there might be some who would say, well, yeah, these you don't have to keep because Jesus paid it all on the cross, but these over here, you, you need to keep these. And, and, I, and I think it's a value, valid question to ask, what laws do we have to obey? Now look at chapter 3 and verse number 2, just to get our minds back into, into Galatians here. He said, I would like to learn just one thing from you. This is Paul writing the churches in Galatia. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? In other words, did you become a Christian? Did you become... Christ-like, did you become a follower of Jesus? Did you receive the Holy Spirit as one of the gifts from that, that, that transaction? Did, you, did, I, did all that happen on the basis of the works of the law? Or did it happen because you believed? And that question is at the heart of the section we're going to read, chapter 3, and, and we'll read verse 15 down a little bit. He says, brothers and sisters, by the way, he loves calling them that. It shows up about five or six times in Galatians. Let me, let me take an example from everyday life, he says. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. What I mean is this, the law, introduced 430 years later, does not set aside the covenant previously established by God 
and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on the promise. But God in his grace gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of the transgressions until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The seed meaning Jesus. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party, but God is one. Is the law therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. Now let me pause right there. We read that and we go, hmm? And you know, it's kind of a, yeah, promise, law, Abraham, what, what is all this? So if you, if you open your Bible and turn back to the book of Genesis, go to chapter 12 for just a second. And I want you to look at chapter 12 and chapter 15. So I want you to give, give me a second to find it. Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15. Paul is clarifying the role of the law in the life of the believer. It's a big deal for these guys because half the church is Jews. Half the church are, are believers in the Old Testament. They've come to understand that Jesus paid it all on the cross, but they have culture and historical roots deep, deep into Judaism. He's pointing out that, that covenants were made, that, that promises were made, and there was an inheritance that was guaranteed, and God is going to keep his word. So he wants to hearken back to this guy, Abraham. And in chapter 12, verse number 1, 2, and 3, God chooses Abraham and makes a promise to him. He gives him a job. He says, go. This is the guy who came home from work one day and said, hi, honey, we're moving. And she said, where are we going? And he said, I'm not real sure yet. And off they went. But he promises in chapter 12 for them to go, and he promises that I will make you a great nation. God is, to, is starting to make the choice through Abraham and his seed that will move into the nation of Israel that will be a picture of the kind of relationship he wants to have with you and me. And it all starts with Abraham in chapter 12, a major promise given to him. Then go to chapter 15, and we want to spend a few moments here. In Genesis chapter 15. Now he's, he's been given, Abraham has been given the promise. Now there's going to be an establishment of the covenant. Remember we talked before about a covenant was a contract. Sometimes it was conditional, both parties have to do something. Sometimes it was unconditional, one party did it only. It was a, 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 a covenant that, that, that promised some sort of a blessing. So in chapter 15... God's going to come along now, three chapters after he's made his initial promise to Abraham, and, and he's going to come to Abraham in a vision. It says, for him not to be afraid. And, and in verse 2, he says, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I'm childless? This business about a, a seed and, and uh, an unnumbered amount of, of uh, descendants. How is that going to happen? I'm too old. Verse 3, you've given me no children, so I guess I'm going to have to take my servant. Then the word of the Lord in verse 4 says, this, uh, this man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him aside and he said, hey, look at the stars, see if you can count them. That's how many offspring you're going to have. Verse 6, Abram 
believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Now, that is a very important uh, piece of the puzzle. I'll come back to it in a minute, but don't, don't forget that. So what happens is he says to him in verse 7, I'm the Lord who brought you out of the Ur of the Chaldees, just where you used to live. I'm giving you this land to possess it. He, Abram says, well, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So the Lord said to him, okay, you know what? I need to give you a sign. I need, I need, I physically, you need to see some stuff. So go get me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. So Abram went and got all those things. Those were animals that were typically used in sacrifice. Now he brings them to him in verse 10, and he says, cut them in two and arrange the halves opposite each other. So, so look up here for a minute. I'm going to pick up the story and try to tell it to you in the story form. When they would make a covenant between two land orders or owners or over a, a, a possession that they were going to make a covenant about, one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways they would indicate that this is a big deal, it's a covenant, it's a contract, it's a binding deal, is they would take an animal and sacrifice it. This is how they would do it. They would kill the animal and cut him literally in two. Place one over here and one over here. And in this case, there were several animals, all cut in half, except for the birds. The birds were not cut in half. And they were laid down in a, in a line. Typically, if you were making a, an agreement, a, a, a covenant, you didn't shake hands back then and sign a document. The two of you walked down through the animals as a sign of saying, we're going to keep this, and it's so serious to us, this stuff been sliced in half, let that happen to us if we don't keep our end of the bargain. You get it? So a way of showing this very serious covenant that God has selected Abraham and down through his seed will eventually come uh, the, the, uh, the child of promise or Jesus Christ to offer himself on our, on our behalf. He's, he's laying it out just like they would have done in a very serious covenant. Now watch what happens though. So in verse 12, uh, as the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. God put him to sleep. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Then the Lord said to him, Know for certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated there. That's the time they're going to spend in Egypt. But I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they'll come out with great possessions. You, however, will go to your ancestors at peace, be buried at a good old age. <laughs> That's me, good old age. In the fourth generation... Your descendants will come back here, for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. When the sun had set and the darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared, and it passed between the pieces. Now, did Abraham pass between the pieces? No. What passed was the physicalness, the sign of God himself. In this case, he's choosing to use a smoking firepot and a blazing torch. It appears... And God himself passes through the pieces, not Abraham. This is a one-sided deal. It is not conditional on Abraham's performance, which is good because he's a sinner. It is totally conditional on God's covenant. He made a covenant with Abraham. It's one-sided. He self-imposes obligation to him. They call this the covenant of the pieces. And out of it, God promised Abraham land, his seed or his descendants, and a blessing that through him, all the nations of the world would be blessed. Now, this theme is picked up in Romans 4, 
where it says Abraham believed God and it was credited or counted to him as righteousness, just like it said in verse 6 of this. And, and, and again, it's picked up in the book of Hebrews uh, where, where the, the condition is said that God himself did the, did the, com- the committing, if you will. So, so what's happened here is this covenant between Abraham and God is ratified. It's made permanent. It's made legal. It's, it's documented. Only they didn't do it on paper. They did it by laying out the animals and walking through it. In this case, Abraham was put to sleep, so it could not be dependent on him. God himself walked through and made, made the establishment. Now note the elements of this covenant. The first is that there was a need for faith. You see, when we look at the old covenant, we say, well, it's performance-based. Do this, don't do that, make sure you do it this way, offer this, say that, don't eat this, go there, etc. But in truth, look at that verse I pointed out to you. He says in verse 6 that Abraham believed the Lord. This is, this is what your promise will be. And he believed it. And when he believed it, the Bible says it was credited to him as righteousness. So when when you argue with American Express about a bill, and they agree with you that you were right, they credit your account, whatever that was you argued about. In this case, his faith was put on his record. It was credited. Up comes the record, Abraham, in the log, his faith credited to him. Same thing for Sherry Whirl, only now we're in the New Testament, when Sherry Whirl, September the 3rd, 1969, put her faith and trust in Jesus, it was credited to her. I didn't walk through. It's one-sided. In my case, the one-sidedness is, is Jesus' sacrifice on the, on the cross. Abraham is looking forward, and it's credited to him for righteousness. In verses 9 and 10, what you, need, what you see is a formalness of the ratification. Now, in the Old Testament... Those things were formally ratified different ways. Sometimes they exchanged salt. Salt was a way to say, I, I really mean this. I'm buying the land from you, Marcia, and here's a sack of salt. It's, you know, it's like signing my life away. Salt was used. In the book of Ruth, if you remember, when Boaz agrees to be the redeemer kinsman of, of the young girl, what does he do? He takes off his shoe, and he hands a shoe to the other to the other relative it's a sign that says yep i'm in this is ratified this is sealed it's done take my shoe so sometimes it was salt sometimes it was a shoe sometimes it was the animals that we see in genesis 15 but in the new testament what does hebrews talk about what's the sign of the the ratification it's his blood just like the animals had to be slain in genesis 15 Christ was slain, and by his blood, we are redeemed. We are set free. Now, the participants of this particular one in Genesis 15, both of them were there, but only one of them walked through. God wanted to make sure that it was very clear to Abraham, this all hinges on me, not you. Now, guys, this is a really important point that we're going to drive through, which is our so what point at the end. So so are we required to keep the laws of the Old Testament, and if so, which ones? Well, the answer is yes. The answer is no. 
The answer is yes, good idea, for the right reason. The answer is no, if you think for any reason, for a moment, that you can earn favor with God. When you got saved, you brought absolutely nothing to the table. You can't even say, but I believed. Because in Ephesians 2, it says even faith is a gift. You and I came to Christ, much like Abraham. We got put to sleep. We woke up. It was all done. You can't say, yeah, but I, but I, but I really meant it. So, You can't say, but, but, but I, I did it all right. I said it the right way. I, I was baptized. Lovely, good, you should have been. Has nothing to do with your salvation. The covenant, the new covenant, is likewise 100% dependent on what Christ did. Not 1% dependent on me. But I had the right attitude. Good. But I was repentant. Excellent. And you should have been. Well, I joined the church. Lovely. None of that counts towards the keeping of the of the new covenant. So what's the purpose of the law? Did it set aside the promise to Abraham? So 400 and some odd years later, when Moses appears and the Ten Commandments and all the ceremonial laws and the sacrificial laws and all the stuff that came with it, did that, did that null and void the promise that God made to Abraham to give him a land and a, and a, and a seed and a blessing? No, it did not. It's not null and void. The nation of Israel was then and became very important uh, to God through, through his seed and, and the way he related to Moses and the establishment of the sacrifices. Yes, very important. Israel was very important at that time. Israel is very important now. I'm not talking about political Israel. I'm not talking about geopolitical Israel that sits next to Jordan. I'm talking about the people. The people that are that are Jewish by by inheritance. Are they still an important entity to God? Answer yes. And do they have a future? Is there a future component where God is looking to have a relationship with Israel? Answer yes. Again, not geopolitical uh, Israel, but Israel as in the seed of of Abraham. Their future, by the way, is so literal, you can study it in the, in the book of Revelation. Go to, go to chapter 20. You can't go right now. Go to chapter 20 and look at the millennial reign. The millennial reign, in part, is so that Israel has a chance to have all those Old Testament promises about how God was going to set up shop right with them and they could rule and reign on the earth. Well, that's never happened. Never, it never worked out. It's going to during the millennial reign. You and I get got grafted in. You and I get to join in. We get we get to be part of that. But in but but in focus, the millennial kingdom has to do with Israel. So God's not saying that the promise to Abraham, null and void, done. We're past that. No. It's rolling along in the economy of God. He has a he has a future for it. So what is the purpose then of the law? When Moses came along and God gave him the Ten Commandments and all the ceremonial and civil laws associated with it, what was the point? If, if there was already a promise, why, why did there need to be the law? And, 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 and the people that 
that Paul is dealing with in Galatia right now, they're very confused. They're, well, what do we need that for? So let me ask you this. What if Stony Brook, an elementary and junior high school, had no rules? No, no rules. No guidebook, no handbook, no, no set of rules. What time would people show up for school? <laughs> so, Robin, you got three little ones. It's so easy to get them up and dressed, isn't it? Oh, well, we'd be here really early. Would you? You'd be early. <laughs> we get up early. What time would you like to leave? We would probably want to leave here at school. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. We'd probably leave like two. Two? Two would work for you? Okay, good. Any later arrivals or, you know? A little later? Okay, okay. So what time yeah. would what time would you guys like to leave? Probably, like, probably get here at eleven. Eleven? <laughs> oh yeah. That's okay. Good. And then maybe one. Oh yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Okay. And in our school, we walk down the right hand side of the hallway. What if there's no guidelines for walking on the right or the left hand side of the hallway? What what would the hallway look like? Chaos. Yeah. <laughs> Chaos. Okay, and so there's no guidelines for bells to ring or or a recess time. It's just whenever the teacher kind of felt like going out or turning their kids loose. So so would there be any TAs out there scheduled to watch them? No. Okay, you get my point, guys. The 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 back to El Salvador driving. No rules. Chaos. Chaos. On the way home from church, the car behind us got. Got nailed by a 17-year-old uh, driver, no driver's license, no insurance, no nothing. Um, without rules, without standards, there's no patterns. Without patterns, there's no routines. Without routines, there's not helpfulness. There's chaos. In a moral sense, if there were no laws having to do with moral behavior... If it was like it was during the book of Judges, where every man did that which was right in his own eyes. That phrase is repeated over and over and over again in the book of Judges. That's kind of the, the, more, the, the equivalent in our culture might be, if it feels good, do it. Okay, I will admit, at the moment, I like that. This feels good. I want to eat that entire cake. <laughs> it feels good. <laughs> Okay, well, what is my stomach going to be like in about eight hours? Uh, Not good. If it feels good at the moment, yes, but without a standard, without rules, without guidelines, there is chaos. God understood that from a moral perspective. If there wasn't a standard, if there wasn't some guidelines, we would be a mess. Now, the thing is, The standard from God's perspective is perfection. So what does the law do? When we have a set of rules, okay, thou shalt not kill. So we say to ourselves, if we were an Old Testament person, all right, I've not murdered anybody. I'm good. I'm good to go. When we get to the New Testament, we get in Matthew chapter 5, and what does Jesus say? Really good that you've not killed anybody. However... If you've ever been angry at anybody in your mind, same thing. I mean, the kid that was driving me around, he was teaching me um, uh, Spanish phrases, cute little things. So uh, the word uh, chivo means cool. Cool. It's cool. You know? So I, a car pulled in front of him, and it messed. 
And I hollered at the car, turkey jerk! <laughs> and he looked at me. I said, what are you doing? I said, I'm teaching you a new word. Said, What's that? I said, that's my Christian cussing right there. Said, turkey jerk! So he said, okay, I'm going to use it. Turkey jerk! It was so funny when he said it. <laughs> what the law does is sets a standard. It says to you, really? You haven't murdered? Great. But... When Christ came along, he said, if you were angry in your heart, hollering people, turkey, calling people turkey jerks on the freeway, you're, it's like the same thing as whatever. So now when that happens, now am I feeling? Have I kept the law? N- no. It's becoming abundantly clear to me that I cannot keep the law. I might keep that part or that part, but I'm awful at that part and that part. You might be really good at that part, but oh, this one over here. You know, there, there is a way to show us we are falling horribly short of the standard of perfection. It's like a gigantic mirror. The law goes, really, Judy? Yeah, thank you, got it? And she takes a long look in the mirror and goes, well, I'm a whole lot better than Sherry, but no, <laughs> no, I'm not perfect. If, if the standard to be in God's presence is perfect, I'm looking in the mirror and the law is telling me, mm, fell short. Without the law, we might just say, well, but the standard is not actually killing someone. But that stuff you do in your head when you're hollering on the freeway, that's okay. No. When we have the law, it, it serves as a, as a gigantic mirror. The purpose of the law is to get us to understand we fall short. The moral law, once it's stated, uh, the civil laws to make us uh, you know, enforce the way we live, and all those ceremonial laws, all those sacrifices, when that was, was in, in full bloom, those people knew they couldn't cut it. And they longed for the Messiah to come. See, the law was just a a way for them to get a sense of no can do. Uh Uh-uh. Can't measure up. The law was 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 a neon sign saying, even come quickly, Messiah, because we cannot do this. No amount of sacrifices, no amount of ceremonial uh, laws, no amount of personal uh, uh, trying to keep the Ten Commandments, no amount of any of that gets us to the holy and righteous standard of God. He cannot be appeased by our behavior, by our attitudes, by, by, by the way we behave. And the law pointed that out. Without the law, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's okay. I'm not as bad as her. As long, you know, what's that joke about when the bear comes and everybody runs, how fast do you have to run? You know what the answer is? Faster than the slowest guy. Okay, so, so it's kind of like that with the law. How, how righteous do I have to be? Just better than the last one behind me. I just have to find somebody that's not as good. Well, I can find that somewhere. But the law says, ooh, ooh, we're in, we're, we're in trouble. We're, we're up short. The promise to Abraham was not made null and void. The new covenant came, pictured by Abraham by only God passing through. And, and, and he's going to go one step further with this illustration. 
looking Galatians, we're back in Galatians. Look at the, the latter part of 3 and the first part of 4. So the question is, which laws do we have to keep? I'm going to get to that in just one moment and, and summarize. He says in verse 23, Before the coming of this faith, we were held in custody under the law. We were locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Okay, the guardian. Ah, what a great picture. So back in that time, when Paul was writing to the Galatians, if you had money, your kids went to school. And if you had money, your kids had a guardian. So what the job of the guardian was, was much like a, like a trustee would be to, a, to a, a, a living trust. And so this person would make certain that, A, the kids got to school properly, so they lived with them. But this person also made sure that their, their allowance was doled out. This person made sure that they learned the craft of their father so they could take over the business. This person did all the things that got them ready for the time when they became a full-fledged adult. The guardian's job was to bring them along. Okay, that is the picture of the Old Testament, of the law. It brought people along. It gave them a focus. It gave them an understanding and it emphasized in their hearts, we're not good at this. We can't do this. We need a Savior. We need the Messiah. So when all the prophets preached over and over and over again about the coming Messiah, their hearts were stirred because the law acted like a guardian. Come on, come on, keep coming, keep coming. There's the, the, all the promises you want, all those things that you yearn for, that, that relationship with Almighty God, it's coming, it's coming, come on, come on. That's the purpose of the law. So what? All right, so we get that. All right. Promises was not null and void. Purpose of the law was to show us that, that we fall short, that we can't run around doing what we want to do. We have a, a tutor or a governor or a guardian, a trustee in the form of the law to bring us to an understanding of the Messiah, the coming Savior. So now what? Well, number one, Jesus did not come to destroy the law. Matthew chapter 5. He, he, he's, not, he's not coming to destroy. The word destroy means to tear down. He was not tearing down the law. He says, I came to fulfill it, to complete it, to, to fill it out. What, where it fell short, in himself, he filled it out. You want to know how to meet the standard of a holy and righteous God? You come through me. He fulfilled it. He gave, he gave penetrating insights into the law. Should we not murder? Yeah, it still applies. Don't murder. But he took the standard up a little higher. And don't call people turkey jerks on the freeway. Right? He, he took it up. These laws were a shadow of things to come. But, but the substance, Colossians chapter 2 says, belongs to Christ. When Christ came along, he, he took what was a, a low standard and just kept making it go higher and higher and higher in and through him. The example would be circumcision. So in Deuteronomy, it says, if you want to please God, get your boys all circumcised. Okay. So then we get to Romans, and it says, circumcision is not the outward sign that it was in the Old Testament. And then we get to Colossians, it says, you, all of you, should be circumcised by putting off the deeds of the flesh. 
So what's happened? The law was circumcise your babies, your boys. When we get through the New Testament and we get into the person of Christ and now the teaching from the cross, well, wait a minute, all of us are supposed to be circumcised. And it's not talking about a physical circumcision. It's talking about a cutting away of the deeds of the flesh of our heart. So Jesus didn't do a... He didn't say, don't get circumcised. He said, circumcise your heart. He fulfilled it. What was a shadow became a bright light. Just keep coming with me to make sure that you understand. So the strict letter of the law became a more spiritual application and broader and deeper. I mean, in the Old Testament, if you get your boy circumcised, done, done. Well, how many times do I have to be circumcised? About 14,000 a day. Every time my mind goes sideways, every time I get an attitude, every time I get selfish, I'm supposed to put to death or circumcise the deeds of my heart. So in the Old Testament, boom, done, my boys are all circumcised. Woohoo, look at me, keeping the law. Jesus said, oh, that's lovely. However, let's just keep going here. He doesn't, he doesn't make it go away. He makes it bigger, broader, more, more definitive. And principle number four is, when he talks about the law, he talks about how all scripture is profitable. The passage in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says all scripture is profitable for, and it gives a list. Wow, all scripture? Are we talking about First and Second Samuel? Are we talking about Leviticus? Are we talking about my least favorite one, which is Isaiah? What, are we talking about all that? Yes, yes. One of the kids down in Salvador asked me, how do I do my own personal devotions? And, and I think she was referring to, do I journal? Do I have you know, devotional aids? Whatever, whatever. And I said, well, a, a, a number of years ago, I stopped doing that kind of devotions. My devotions, my personal devotions, just me and the Lord kind of time, is I read through the scriptures just continually. Because I found what I was doing was I was cherry picking. Ooh, I really like Ephesians, so I'll just do Ephesians again. Ooh, I'm in a hurry today, so I'll do a little bite size right out of Psalms. Ooh, I'll just do one of the Proverbs today. That will give me wisdom. I was doing a little cherry picking. And what happens is I wasn't getting the whole counsel of God in my life. So I just started in the front, and I just keep reading. And when I finish, I keep reading. And I'm in tail end of Acts now, and I'll get into the New Testament books, and then I'll flop back down into... To, to Genesis again. Now, it, from time to time, obviously, I'm off on other books as well. But that is a way to make sure that I'm getting the whole counsel of God. God. Jesus didn't say, forget the law. He's saying all that stuff that was written before, good. That part about circumcising your boys, good foundation. Read that. Understand it. Think about it. And then jump over into Colossians and get the circumcision of your heart principle down. In fact, when they ask him about, you know, how can you sum up the law in, in Matthew 7, he says he gives them the, the, the golden rule. Do unto others as you have you do unto yourselves. Well, is that a lower standard than the law or a higher standard? It's a much higher standard. I could keep the Ten Commandments and, and it'd be a behavior-only thing. But when, when I get into the New Testament, it becomes a heart thing. So he's not, he's not destroying... He's not setting aside. He fulfilled. He completed. He's the substance. The whole of the God's law is valuable to us. Um, by the way, of the Ten Commandments, 
All, nine of the ten are directly repeated in the New Testament. There's only one that's not. Care to guess what it is? Keep the Sabbath. All the rest of them, God is very clear and repeats. Like, don't get confused, guys. I want to make sure you understand this. But the principle associated with the keeping the Sabbath is, is in the New Testament, but not directly. Now, that is telling us God's affirming everything that was in the moral law. If it was wrong to murder in the economy of, of, of Moses and his crowd, it is certainly still wrong to do murder today. There are some that say, yeah, but there's some laws that were, were culturally sensitive, like wearing a certain kind of cloth. Yeah, I get that. But no one in their right mind confuses wearing a certain kind of cloth with a moral principle like murder. You don't pick and choose. They're all still in effect. Now, principle number five says, we keep the moral laws of God because they are good, because they're right, not because keeping them gains us any merit with God. See, here's the difference. In the Old Testament, they kept it to show God, all right, we're doing what you said. And, and, and there was a sense of, of, of faith, yes, but also a sense of performance. That's all we've got is the rules. We look on this side of the cross, and I look back to the cross, and I go, yes, I'm still saved by faith. It's my choice. My choice. It's my responsibility to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yes, the cross is, is a matter of faith. But now, those moral laws, I want to keep them, not to gain his favor, because it doesn't gain it. The only thing that gains it is what Christ did for us but to express my gratitude. I'm still going to want to keep it. It's still a good idea to have a Sabbath. It's definitely a good idea not to murder. Not because God's going to go, oh, good job, Sherry, didn't murder anybody this week. No, I am a child of God, and the standard for me is I shouldn't be angry. And principle number six is the Old and the New Covenant are two different systems. The old covenant was replaced by the better covenant, Hebrews says, established in Jesus Christ. So, so, so to answer the question, which laws do you have to keep? All of them. Do you have to keep them to gain favor to God? No, it doesn't work. Should you keep them? Yeah, because out of a heart of love, you care for what God has set as a standard for your life. So I wrote in your notes, bottom line, eat pork. You're not supposed to be eating pork, according to the Old Testament law. Or don't eat pork. Your call. If you don't eat pork, are you a better Christian? No. If you eat pork, are you a bad Christian? No. Eat pork, don't eat pork. Just don't think that by refraining from eating pork that somehow you've gained a, a, a brownie point with God. You have not. Now, it might be better for your stomach. I'll grant you that. All the dietary laws in the Old Testament, they make sense. They make perfect sense. A lot of the, the fish that was, that was uh, on the don't eat list are bottom feeders. And they, and they, and they get all the grunge of the, of the ocean or the, or the lake or the stream. And God says, yeah, it's not going to be all that good for you. Don't eat them. Okay, 
I love catfish, and you shouldn't eat catfish. When I eat catfish, I'm eating a bunch of junk I probably shouldn't eat. But eating it or not eating it doesn't gain me favor with God. You with me? So the question is, which laws? All of them. Just not for the purpose of gaining favor, but for the purpose of honoring God and what he might have had in mind for us. Don't eat pork. You with me? Let's pray. Father, help us understand. You made a promise to Abraham, and it was conditional only on your performance, not his. When you went to the cross, my salvation was conditional on your obedience, not mine. And for that, I'm extraordinarily grateful today. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Help me to honor you by doing right, not because it makes me more favorable to you, but because it's the right thing to do. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.